friends, welcome to Womankind. This is your host, Kelsey Novis, and I'm here in episode 47 with my guest, Amy Lipman. Hi, Amy. Hi, Kelsey. How are you? I'm good. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. So I first came across Amy, um, I went to an event back in December, and it was called Sip, Shop, and Support. Did I get it right? Sip, uh, Shop, Support. Yes. And that was run by Chris Bellin. And it was an event that was focused on female entrepreneurs and people that were bringing their business. And then um, it was raising money for Harvest Haven, Haven House. House. Oh my god, I have a mess. For Haven House. And through that event, there were a couple guest speakers. Um, and Sue Morales, who has been a guest on the show previously. She? That's yes. amazing. She and Sierra were on the show um, a while, almost Love a year them. ago now. Um, so Sue was a guest speaker there, and Amy was the other guest speaker. And so after listening to Amy's talk, I mean, I felt very, like, energized and inspired. Oh, you did? I did. Thank you. It was great. I um, appreciate that. It's also just a very unexpected story. It is. So why don't you tell us a little bit about your background and a little bit about your story and whatever you want to get into, basically. My background. I mean, I never thought it, I'm almost 35, that I'd say, oh, I'm a cancer survivor. I mean, I'm going on five years. It'll be five years in October. And, like, that's just a crazy statement because, I mean, there's so many of us out there that are cancer survivors, breast cancer, lung cancer. Mm -hmm. I have blood cancer. But it just, to like, the reality of it sometimes is just... Well, that was, like, the last, when you, I didn't really know what you were going where to be I was speaking going. about. Yeah. And so when you got up, that was kind of the, the last thing I expected you to say. And I was like, whoa, like, that's... I mean, I... It was, I got diagnosed right before I turned 30, and I mean, I was so worried about where my life was going and where it wasn't going. I wasn't married. I didn't have kids. I lived at home with my mom. I, I had a job, but it wasn't anything I was super um, enthusiastic about. And literally, like, a week before I turned 30, that was when they finally figured out what I was sick with, and it was life-changing. I mean, stage four, it was everywhere. I had every test on a man. I mean, I started from the time I got diagnosed to the time I started chemo was a week and a half. So it just, it has changed my life, honestly, it, in the best possible way. Um, there are people in it that I never would have met prior without having gone through this experience. And I'm honestly so grateful because it's, it's changed my life in such an amazing way. People, things, places. I've met so many people. I've been able to help so many people that I'm just, I'm really grateful for the experience. And I feel like through that, I, learning all of this, I needed to give back mm -hmm. to other people and show them that it can really be terrible, but it can also be really, really be beautiful at the end of the day. If you, if you want it to be that, if you want to empower yourself to know that, you know what, I'm going to be okay. So having that attitude is incredible, but it was probably a long road to get to that point. It was a very long road. I mean, it probably took me a good three years to get here. And I mean, it's been a consistent maybe almost two that I've been here. I mean, you go through chemo, and I'm sure anyone can attest, anyone that's gone through it, you just, you're just kind of on like autopilot. You just go. You don't have time to think. It's just, okay, the doctors say do this, you're going to do this. You know, chemo every two weeks, radiation, whatever, pills, however they're going to do it, and you just go. You do not think. And then when it's all over, 
everyone kind of expects you to be like, oh, you're done, you're fine. And you're so far from it. You're so far on the other ed edge of that cliff because your whole life has changed and you're never going to go back to being that same person. And, I mean, I was suicidal at one point. I mean, I had some severe lung damage from one of the drugs and they had to put me on 100 milligrams of prednisone for almost six months and I must have gained oh 65 pounds. And it's not just like you gain 65 pounds, it's like you're bald, you're fat, you're uncomfortable, you're not sleeping, you're retaining water. I mean, I remember just thinking one night, like driving home, I'm just like, if I just drive into this tree, like it would just be over. And it's not that I ever wanted to die, it's not that I ever wanted to end my life, it just, I just didn't want to be in pain anymore. And that was when, that was a major like wake up call for me and I remember calling my doctor the very next morning and saying, okay, these are the thoughts that I'm having and I think it's partly because of, I mean, you put on 65 pounds, you're gonna feel miserable. You're gonna be on prednisone for this long, you're gonna be miserable. But you just have to remember to be able to see that light at the end of the tunnel. And I mean, I went on, I was on an antidepressant for almost three years. I started working out, I mean, but I put in the work. I put in the work, I read self-help books, I have a great support group of girlfriends who went through the same thing that I went through. So, I mean, I consider myself very lucky, but I mean, again, I put in the work and that's what I tell other people. It's not gonna happen if you don't do it. I mean, there. it sounds like there was like quite the separation between like your body and correct me if I'm wrong, maybe feeling like your, your body is like not yours anymore. It's totally out of It was totally control. out of my control. Like once they, I mean, when I finished chemo, I was skinny and sad and pathetic and bald. And the exact opposite happens with the prednisone. You retain water, you gain weight, your hair grows in places that you just didn't know it could. <laughs> oh, God. Um, I had this like peach fuzz around like my chin and my face that it's just like, all right, this is just one more thing that I'm gonna have to deal with. So yeah, you really, I had no control over it and I just had to kind of relinquish any, and I like to be in control of my life and what I'm doing and I wasn't. And then at the same time you have your same mind and so right. all of these things are happening and it's like so traumatic and then your mind is like trying to catch up and and I mean I don't know if it, my mind ever really did catch up mm -hmm. I mean maybe now maybe almost five years later is my are my mind body and spirit all kind of living cohesively mm -hmm. but it, it took it took years of therapy and Absolutely. just you know being conscious of my feelings and what I was going through and never hiding it. I think it's really important for people, men, women, even kids to express how they're feeling. Like I used my Instagram basically as therapy. Um, if I was having a bad day, you kind of knew by what I posted. Um, if I was having a good day, you knew by what I posted. And it was really great that so many people were able to resonate with my good or bad days or my indifferent days. You know, people would message me saying, girl, I get it or, you know, keep going. It was like the support on Instagram is one of the things that I think really got me through that horrible period of my life. That's amazing that social media, like we talk so much about the negative aspects mm -hmm. of social media, but there really are such positives to it. In this five years, I've never had anything negative happen to me. I mean, knock on wood, but it, I have met, I have six close girlfriends who all had the same type of cancer. I've been in one of their weddings. I've 
godmother to one of their daughters. Like, these girls are lifelong friends. I see them through, they all live in California, ironically. Um, but I see them all the time. I'm able to travel and we're all, we get together. Like, I don't know what I would do without these people. That's incredible. Uh, on the last episode, um, I interviewed Jackie McGriff. She's a photographer based in Rochester. And, like, she and I have kind of met through online community. Mm -hmm. um, and she kind of says the same thing, that, like, you connect with people, you find it's amazing. people through social it's media. It's really, really amazing that, you know, you can be talking to someone who lives 3,000 miles away, but they totally get you as a person, as a whole, and, like, they're going to be there forever. Mm -hmm. And the one thing that I did really commend her on, in which I haven't looked at your Instagram, but I feel like I would have the same thoughts about yours, is that she is so good at being vulnerable and putting herself out there, and it sounds like you are great at the same thing. Yeah, I mean, that's, like I said, that was my therapy. Mm -hmm. And when I when I needed to get something out or if I was feeling sad. And it, it just, again, the response from these people that I don't know. Mm -hmm. It's just sometimes the people farthest away that you, have n you don't know at all are the mm -hmm. best people in your life. That's awesome. So, <laughs> so you have a little girl gang. We do. <laughs> we have a little girl gang. We, are, we, um, we call each other the ponies. Why? I don't even remember how it started. I think, okay, this is how it started. One of my, our friends, she ended up relapsing, mm -hmm. and we, someone found this meme of, like, the My Little Ponies, and this particular pony, her name is Rainbow Dash. Okay. She was in the bed, and then there were five other ponies around her. So there being six of us, we each became a pony persona. <laughs> I'm Fluttershy. Um, nice. She's got the greatest hair, um, and that's, so we have, everything is unicorn or my little pony, and it's just, it's a fun way to make it cute, I, I guess. I like that, I yeah. like that a lot, that's fun. Now, you know, this happened at such a young age, and that's not typical, so how did... It is typical, Is though. it typical it, for, for this the type of for cancer? For my type of cancer, you are mm -hmm. typically going to get it between the ages of 15 and 35. Wow, okay. So, and, so, the... In the six of us in our little group, the youngest one she had gotten it, she was 21. Oh my gosh. And the oldest one was 32 at the time. So it's it's quite typical. Like the stories that I hear um, from people all over the world, mid 20s. Mm -hmm. um, and even breast cancer, you see more and more women who are getting diagnosed at such a young age. Sue did talk about that when she was on, that so the you, demographic I mean, is changing. The demographic is really changing, and my biggest thing is you have to be proactive. I mean, I still can't get a mammogram, which is crazy to me. I can't get one, I think my doctor told me, until I'm 40. Mm -hmm. But I've already had Why cancer. Why Because I'm not at risk. Oh, because but, of, like, the insurance, like, doesn't yes, start until yes, then. Yes, until okay. I'm 40. Even though I've already had cancer, there's um, breast cancer that runs in my family, but our health system, our health it's just, it's backwards. Mm -hmm. Totally. I say this all the time. I wish there was just, like, we could all just get, like, a full body scan. I have said that so many times. Like, once every two years. Right. Like, just someone give me a PET scan and call it a day. And... So, do you have any advice for people that are, like, you know, as, like, I guess I naively am thinking, like, too young to be thinking about this? What should people be doing now from what you've learned from your experience? As far as, like... Getting diagnosed, um, I mean, so that's a long that's a long story in itself, I guess. I mean, it took me almost two years. Mm -hmm. I was in and out of the doctor. I had a boatload of symptoms, and I just kept going. Um, 
if you don't think something is right, if you don't feel right, I mean, obviously, I wouldn't necessarily say this, but Google your symptoms. You know, at least see, and then, I mean, probably nine times out of ten, it's not going to turn out to be cancer. But, I mean, I wasn't getting better. I had a rash. I was having night sweats. I was coughing up blood. I had this, like, horrible itching all over my body. And every time I would go to the doctor, they're like, oh, nope, you have pneumonia. You have bronchitis. You have mono. And, I mean, after antibiotic, after antibiotic, and I wasn't getting better. And I just kept going. You, I, so my biggest advice is you just have to know your body and you have to be your own health advocate because no one else is going to do it for you. Absolutely. I, I mean, that's true. Not just with cancer, just with just anything. anything. Yeah. I mean, people, totally. like, you should get a yearly checkup. Yeah. I mean, I was always the person that was very against doctors, and now I'm a professional patient. <laughs> well, it goes into being a professional patient. <laughs> Like, are you someone that a doctor, like, wants to have in the office, or are you someone that they're, like, irritated with because you know what's going on and you have so many questions? Um, over the years, I kind of just know the protocol now. Like, I know what's going on. I'm not afraid to ask questions. I guess also on the other, the other, the other side of that is when you are diagnosed with something, anything, and it's something life-changing like cancer, you want someone else there with you. Because I did a lot of this by myself, and I didn't take notes, and I was very shocked by the process and how it all happened and how I felt. And so, like, I'm, I am a great mentor for people who are newly diagnosed or going through it because I can tell them this is what you're going to expect. But, like, I wish that I had, like, my mom or a boyfriend, like, in the room with me, because I, and I, but I didn't want to burden anyone. But people want to be there for you. Like, let them in, let them support you, let them love you. Talk about that a little bit more. Like, what happens, like, in the aftermath with those supports and with you not initially asking people for help? Um, like, how did you get to the point where you know you know now that people wanted to they support wanna you? They want to help you? I was always a person that did things on my own as it is, so... Asking for help was just like a, like, eh, do I want to, like, really, like, bother you? Like, I have to go down downtown to Roswell. Do you really want to come with me? Um, it's... And they did want to come They did want to come. But you also, so, yes, they did want to come. But, like, I felt bad for my mom in that sense because, like, I'm her kid. Like, I'm supposed to be taking care of her at this point in her life, not her taking care of me at 30. Um, so, like, there's there's guilt in it. There's, there's I, I guess, almost a little bit of shame because, like, you don't want to be that burden for those people that care about you. But, you know, I have a friend that tells me all the time, just accept the good, aim. Just accept yeah. the good. So you have to just be open to letting yourself be vulnerable and allowing those people to love you and help you and take care of you. I mean, that's what, you know, that's why you have people in that's your life. That's why you have people. Um, there is another side of that, though, because, and I've heard it from more than one person, you expect certain people to be there for you, and they're not interesting. Like, my one of my best friends of seven years... Like, she found out I got, like, I was diagnosed, and she disappeared. I literally haven't talked to her since. So wow. you just have to be, you, you find out who your friends are. Interesting. You find out who really cares about you and who wants to be there, because they will show up regardless if they're asked or not. You know, 
so this is like kind of a weird example, but I that movie Fifty Fifty. Have you ever seen? I that? haven't seen it, but I I know what you're talking about. I don't remember whether or not it was a good movie. I don't know. I saw it in theater like theaters like years ago when it came out, and it's about um, like Seth Rogen is in it yeah. and Joseph Gordon-Levitt, and I think Joseph Gordon-Levitt get, finds he, out he has cancer. Yeah, Five hundred days of summer. And yes, <laughs> and I his girlfriend like they've been together for a while bails on him immediately and I remember watching that and being so upset by like every aspect of it because I was like what if I am like her and that happens to me and I run away or what if I like I like I saw myself in like every scenario like in that movie and I was so the way that they portrayed it was just like so raw and I was just like oh my gosh this is horrible and I bet this happens all the time it happens all the time and that's more or less what happened with my boyfriend and I I mean we got through chemo um but then the steroids happened, and like my, like I said, my whole body changed, and the person that he knew and was attracted to was no longer there. And, I mean, this is pretty horrible to say, and I haven't really said this out loud too much, but I remember one night we were both sitting on the couch, and he's like, I'm just not as attracted to you as I used to be, but I know it's just the drugs, and you'll eventually go back to being how you used to look. And it's like, what do you do with that? Right. How what do you, you say? What do you, I, I just, I remember being appalled, and... I worked through chemo. Like I, I would I'd have chemo on Thursdays, so I would work Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, be off Thursday, Friday, and then recover. And then I would work because I had it every two weeks. I called in sick the next day. Like that's how after just, hearing after, that. after hearing that, that's how distraught and that's how horrible it felt. And we were engaged at that point. Oh my god! Yeah. So it's like this guy who is supposed to be there through like lifetime, lifetime like thick and thin, wow. better or worse, sickness and health, sick, sickness and in health. He was like, oh yeah, no, I don't. Yeah, the sickness part didn't really. It didn't work really for pan him. out. And you know, also like in that, after I finished chemo, I had some lung damage, and I had to go in for surgery. And he lived in Rochester at the time, still does. He, I called him and I said, this is what's going on. He's like, ugh, it's still not over. I'm like, dude, this isn't happening to you. You're not right. even here. And I mean, I should have known then that this yeah. was not going to pan out well mm -hmm. for me or him. But you just, you want to be loved and you, you feel stuck and you just want to feel normalcy. And, you know, being with someone who you think knows you, think loves you is quote unquote normal and just... I mean, don't settle. Don't settle if if it's not meant to be. By all means, let it go. Right, like lean on the people who lean are on the people who want to be there. Absolutely. Like, yeah. I think in that in that six month period, I probably had mm, twelve CT scans. He didn't come to one. That's a little bit of a red flag. <laughs> yes. Oh man. But, you know, you live, you learn, and it's made me into the person I am. It's helped me navigate the last three or four years. It's helped in dating people now because right. I know what I want and I know what I don't want. And you have a standard for that. I now, have a standard you've been now. Through it. Yes. Definitely have a standard. Wow. So now, what are you doing now, now that you're you're in remission? I am in remission. Um, technically, in October, I will be considered cancer free. Amazing. I cured. I think they use the word cured. For me, that? it's five years. Okay. So once, like, if I had Hodgkin's lymphoma, once you hit that five-year mark, I think the five-year mark is a pretty magical number for most cancers, but I know for mine, it's you are cured. 
Cured is cured. such a interesting word. Such an interesting I, word. Yeah. I have a hard time with it. I really have a hard time with it um, to even say it out loud. But I'm going to I trust my doctors. I trust Roswell Park. I'm just going to run with it. Um, but other than that, so cured, I have a full-time job. I do a little motivational speaking here and there. Um, I answer a lot of DMs on Instagram from people who like go back and hashtags are a real thing. Uh, I get messages all the time like, thank you for posting this, what did you do for this? And it's not as often because I don't post about cancer, but people still find it and see it and I mean, I do that a lot. I mean, that definitely would be something, because I, I don't know, I don't know which hashtags work, but I feel like, especially for, like, an illness or something, if mm -hmm. you're trying to look up information and trying to connect with people, mm -hmm. that's, like, a great resource. It is a great resource, because I didn't know what I had when I got diagnosed. Mm -hmm. Like, obviously, I, my doctors told me what's what, but I didn't understand or know, and when I posted my very first picture of me in the chemo chair, and I used the hashtag Hodgkin's lymphoma, People saw that and came out of the woodwork and you got this, congratulations, you're going to be amazing. And those are some where some of these lifelong friends came from, mm -hmm. like those, that hashtag. Mm -hmm. Wow, interesting. That's pretty cool. That like is, I, I, I'm saying this because you said it, like it all seems very like meant to be at like, that's a weird way of putting it maybe, but like that's like... I would, I would say meant to be. I think okay. things happen in this life the way they're supposed to. Mm -hmm. I mean, I needed to go through this to become a better person. I needed to go through this to help other people. I mean, my boyfriend actually said to me the other day, he's like, the reason I love you so much is because you have been through some of the most horrific stuff that I've ever seen or talked about. And he's like, you are nothing but loving and caring and empathetic and you just want to help other people like get through their own stuff. Mm -hmm. And like that was the, probably the sweetest thing anyone could ever say that to me. That is really sweet. Um, so I'm a very lucky person. <laughs> but like that's really like how I came away with it from it. I, what's the point of being negative about it? Mm -hmm. Like it happened. Let's grow from it. Mm -hmm. Let's make it a better experience for someone else. Let's mm -hmm. make it, let's make it, let's turn the negative into a positive. Like, and I, I say, say this all the time, like, how bad is your worst day? Like, I made it. I'm still here. I'm still breathing. So, so it's it, it a good day. Is that how you, because I imagine, like, at some points there was, like, bitterness and, like, some of those feelings. So is that how you kind of, like, combat that? Or I don't know if I was ever necessarily bitter. I mean, I'm sure I felt sorry for myself. Um... In 2000, I think it was 16, Tony Robbins came out with this documentary on Netflix that said, I'm not your guru. And so, backstory is my dad was a big Tony Robbins fan. He was also a motivational speaker part-time. He met Tony Robbins and did the fire walk and all that fun stuff. Oh, my God. I know. <laughs> he did it, in, it, it did it in Hawaii. And I read this, or I watched this documentary, and he says something about only letting negative feelings last for 90 seconds. And that just stuck with me. Like, all right, well, right. I, I can't. I'm going to let let it be for 90 seconds. And then, you know what? I'm going to let it go and move on. And that's really how I try and live my life at this point. I can't tell you the last time I was, like, mad or upset or even, like, that frustrated. Because it's, at the end of the day, it's not that serious. Right. So that's how I deal with stuff in my life now. 90 seconds. I like that. That's very practical advice, which I 
Like, because then people <laughs> can just do it. I mean, it definitely, I think it takes work. Mm-hmm. You, you have to, like, really know, okay, I'm not going to, I'm not going to focus on this. I'm not going to, um, it's not going to, I'm not going to let it linger. I'm going to just, just let it go. Mm-hmm. And the other thing with that is I, you, you can only control your reaction to things. You can't control, really control what's going on around you. So everyone's like, well, what would you do if you relapsed? I don't know. I can't control it. So I'm just going to not worry about it. Mm-hmm. Like, like take it as it comes. Take it as it comes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, excellent. I love it. <laughs> Are there any other aspects of your story that we haven't heard that you'd like to share? I don't think so. Okay, but you covered it. Okay. I mean, that's covered it. I mean, I could talk about cancer and like what it's done and what it's how it's shaped me all day. But I mean, that's the gist of it. Okay, we got it. I mean, I feel like I like wanted more people to hear the talk that you gave, and so this kind of like tapped into that, that was a little kind bit. of like the talk. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so now we'll get into the questions about womanhood. So, what does it mean to you to be a woman in twenty nineteen? It means that I'm independent, it means that I'm confident, it means that I'm secure, um, it means that I can do anything, and I don't need anyone to do anything for me. Um, the boyfriend is kind of a recent thing, mm-hmm. and I've been single for a little bit, and I had was in a relationship that was very, very toxic, and once I left that, I realized how stressed out I was all the time, and I really like not that I thought I needed him but it's like well I'm not whole without him and I think so many people get stuck in in that pattern in that hole it's like well if I don't have a boyfriend what am I going to do or if I'm not married or I don't have a partner I'm I'm a sad individual I loved being single I loved getting to know myself I loved being I like I would go out to dinner by myself like, just maybe a month ago, I went out to dinner. I like going to the movies by myself. I like going to the movies by yeah. myself, too. But, like, I went out, I ordered some wine, I ate dinner at the bar, I read a book, and it was, like, a great date for me. Um, and I think more people need to do that. I Absolutely. think more people need to just be confident in sitting by themselves and just being alone with themselves. And I don't think, and I don't know if that's something that's, like, unique to women, but I don't think that we're taught that we can do that. I agree. And I feel like I went through so much of my life just, like, pining for, like, a boyfriend and, like, desperately wanting Mm -hmm. that. And then it took me, like, so long to get to a place. Because I, when, like, when I was single, uh, before I met my current partner, I, like loved it at the end, and then he came along, and now everything's great, but, like, <laughs> I really enjoyed it, but I was, like, why did this take me, like, 28 yeah. years to figure out that this is actually, like, a fantastic way a to live your life? A fantastic way to live your life. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm 34, and mm-hmm. I've always been in long-term relationships, and I just felt like I got lost mm-hmm. in them, and I think society, like, you're not supposed to be single at 34, you're supposed to be married with kids, and you know, I look at my friends who are in these long-term relationships, married, and I'm just like, well, what am I doing wrong? And I don't, at the end of the day, I realize I'm not doing anything wrong. I'm living my life. I'm being productive. I have a job. Like, I take care of myself. I support myself. I don't need anyone to do that for me. 
And so why have we been taught that, like, there is something wrong with you if you're, like, not married or you don't have kids or you don't have, like, all these benchmarks hit by a certain age? I don't I wish I understand knew. that. <laughs> I wish I knew. I wish I could answer that. Um, I look at my mom. So my mom is a sing- was a, has been a single parent for 22 years. My dad passed away, ironically, from cancer in oh 1987. It happens. Um, but, like, growing up, like, I should have looked at my mom more. She was raising two kids. She had a full-time job. She's still a pharmacist at Buffalo General. She took care of us. And she's never remarried. She's just been single and doing her thing this whole time. I mean, she's an amazing human. I mean, she's gotten... She's probably the strongest, smartest person that I know. So, you know, I have to look up to her. And, like, she's done it. Why can't I? Totally. So what are your favorite parts of being a woman? Favorite parts of being a woman? I ask the tough questions here. Are we talking physical, mental? Oh, I, we can talk about all the categories <laughs> if you want. I like that I'm now fully comfortable with my body. I like that I can wear anything, be anything. I really like my boobs. I don't know if that's... PC or not. Oh, that's great. (laughs) (laughs) I, and I like that I'm smart. I like that I can think for myself and I don't have to rely on anyone to do anything for me, that I trust my gut. I know what's wrong. I know what's good, good or bad for me. Um, yeah. For the physical aspects, do you think going through the experience of having cancer and going through chemo and everything, like, helped you develop this love? Yes, I do. I definitely do. I'm glad you brought that up. I mean, you go from, I had long, dark hair to cutting it, shaving it off, dyeing it blonde, having no eyebrows, having no eyelashes. Um, And you have to, you you are so bare that you have to look in the mirror and go, okay, I'm going to be okay with myself. Mm -hmm. Do you think hair is like a big part of like identity? It's a huge part of your identity. I didn't think that it was going to be as bad as it was, but it was traumatic. Um, And now I joke around. I'm like, oh, yeah, I totally shave my head now. And I would because once you've done it, right, once (laughs) you do it, it's rather empowering. It's like, oh, all right, I am a badass. Like, (laughs) I just shaved my my hair. But that whole, it it really is. And I think even with men, um, it's a huge part of your identity and who you are and when I saw my long dark hair coming out in clumps in my bathroom, like it's like, oh God, like this is this is real. And I mean my eyebrows are tattooed on. Like they're microbladed because they didn't grow back. Mm. So there's just parts of you that you have Your to Your eyebrows look great by the way. Thank you. I've been looking at them this whole time. <laughs> um Ashley at Blink Beauty Bar. Oh okay. Just nice. FYI. <laughs> uh, she's amazing. She's a goddess. Um, another women-owned business. There you go. Nice. Um, we'll have to get Ashley on the show. You should. <laughs> she actually just opened up another studio in New York City doing oh, okay. it. So she's oh, wow. crazy busy, but yeah, get her in here. Um, so yeah, the physical aspect of loving myself, like, no one else was going to, like, in that state. Right. Or, well, I mean, yeah. You know what I mean. Yeah. Um, so I had to, like, accept me for me, and I mean, it's, but like I said, it's also taken a lot of work. It's taken a lot of work and a lot of money and a lot of perseverance to just, like, get back to the person that I am now. 
Um, I mean, you look at a picture of me now and five years ago, I look the same now. So, but now I'm a thousand percent more comfortable with myself. Like I'm able to just be. That's great. I like, that is like a goal to just be, to be able to just be yourself, mm -hmm. who you are and let yourself be that person. It's, it's quite amazing and refreshing. Like I didn't think I, if you would have told me five years ago, like this was going to be my life, I would have been like, you're crazy. I'm never going to be like this open or honest or relate to so many people. But like, it, I think that was part of the reason I needed to go through this. All right, so that was, I mean, that's okay. We kind of worked our way to some different topics. Yeah, but now the next one is your least favorite parts of being a woman. <sighs> least favorite parts of being a woman. I don't know if I really have any. I like that answer. I really, I've never had that answer, so I like that. <laughs> because, again, I can do anything that I want. I'm capable of anything. It might take a little extra work because of society and what they say we can and cannot do and how we're supposed to do it, but I don't think there's anything I can't do, so. Love it. Love it. So then, we'll move on then. Okay. So is there anything that you think the world needs to know about women um, that it doesn't right now? I mean, we're the smarter sex. We usually make some more sound decisions. We're usually a little more practical. A little less whimsical. I think the world. I think the world knows that, but maybe just doesn't want when to admit it, admit it, admit it accept it. it. Yeah. Um. But I guess you know all these other these other countries have these women presidents, and like why haven't we? I find that very interesting, and to like yeah. I don't know what that says about our society as a whole, but like women are doing some badass things all over the mm -hmm. world, and I just feel like the U.S. anyway, it's just kind of stuck. Yeah, I remember learning, actually not too long ago, probably within the last few years, when I was reading Malala's book, that, like, Pakistan had a female prime minister in, like, the 80s. 80s, yeah. And just, like, thinking, I mean, wasn't she eventually assassinated? Yeah, she but was. <laughs> thinking about she things was. like that. Yeah. And being like, why, why are we, are still we where here? we are? Mm-hmm. Um, but I mean, obviously, like, in the past couple of years, everything has been dragged to the surface, and we've gotten some answers to those oh, questions, yes. but, yeah, I, I think we I just mean, need to be louder, just keep going, we just have to keep pushing mm -hmm. through the, the, this invisible barrier, mm -hmm. we have to really want it. Mm -hmm. Oh, we want it. We want it. Oh, I want it. <laughs> I mean, I just, and also, I just, like, as far as, like, a female president goes, like, I didn't realize until, like, pretty recently, just with, like, some reading and, like, listening to, to some things, like, I didn't realize how how much people hate the Clintons. Like, they really do. It was and pretty... It's, yeah. It, it goes deep. Goes and the deep. problem is it goes deep past, like, my understanding, because I was so young mm -hmm. at that, the time when, like, Bill Clinton was president. I mean, not necessarily to get polit too political here, but this last election, it was like, who's worse? Like, honestly, like... Yeah, that's... A lot like, of people felt that way, and I hope that they who, the, chose right, but... Who's the lesser of two evils? Mm -hmm. I mean, I didn't really want to vote for Hillary, but I definitely didn't want to vote for Donald Trump. Mm -hmm. So, I just don't think the candidate in that situation was the correct one, mm -hmm. but hopefully 2020, 
here we come. Yeah, I said this before. We got like there are like a thousand people running for president right now. So I know let's there are. Narrow it down. Did you see that Bernie Sanders though? He got like six million dollars in like the first day. Yeah, I believe that. <laughs> I don't know. Oh. We got we have two more years to go, so let's <laughs> let's pace ourselves. There's I can't think of what her name is, but she's the she's in California. Kamala Harris. Yes. Yes. I'm rooting for her. Mm-hmm. I'm totally rooting for her. She's got a lot of people rooting for her. I don't, like, I'm just kind of waiting it out. Just, I'm not endorsing just, just, any just candidates right now. See what happens. It out. <laughs> we'll see. Things went awry last time. More to come. More to come later. <laughs> so what issue that affects women are you most passionate about? What issue I'm most passionate about. I mean, about. all issues affect women, so... Right, all issues. Um, I don't even know. I guess I should have thought about this one. I mean, that's fine. It's, like... <laughs> I mean, you might say healthcare, but I don't know if that's... I'm speaking for you there. I don't know if that's... I mean, healthcare, sure. Mm-hmm. Um, I just want women to have everything that they're entitled to. Mm-hmm. I mean, whether and that's healthcare, that's um, education, that's if you want to have children. Like, I just want women to be able to live. I want women to, to just live easily and not have to worry about what's going to happen next. Um, I mean, obviously, abortion is always a a, a hard topic to approach. Um, But, again, I I think that if it's that their choice, they should be able to move forward with that. And I don't think it should be decided by, you know, a bunch of men in in Congress or the Senate. um, Or birth control. Like, if you were trying to prevent yourself from having that baby... It would only be proactive. Um, I don't know. Yeah. You know, we we want everyone to be able to be free and be equal, and but then we take away these these rights and these. It's like, oh, well, maybe maybe we're not going to give it to you. It's just like taunting you. Mm-hmm. It's like holding like the the cheese over like a mouse or something. It's like, well, let's 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 keep you guessing. And I just think that's unfair because I mean. I don't think it's equal for both men and women because what are we taking away from men? What are we potentially threatening them with? Nothing. Nothing. Ever. I, nothing. And I don't want to be sexist. I just think that that's our reality in 2019. There's nothing, you know, gun control, but I mean, that affects both men and women. Mm-hmm. So, no, you know, no one's telling men that they can't have sex or they can't do something because of potential consequence but as women we're told that we have to look nice and be nice and act a certain way it's just it's not an, it, it's not an equal playing field and it also seems at every turn that men are getting like free viagra why is that i don't know why like is... that's like seems to be like a priority in a lot of like institutions i would agree with that or cialis mm-hmm. or it's like oh here's a sample pack mm-hmm. It's just, I think it's the double standard, and, you know, I don't know enough to say, like, what happens in the rest of the world, but, I mean, it's a pretty, 
it's a pretty broad thing in the United States. You see these commercials, but then it's like, oh, check with your healthcare provider for what if you're a woman. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it just totally. Doesn't it doesn't vote well for me. I agree. Anything more about that? <laughs> okay. Um, so, what changes would you like to see for women in the future? I would like more women to, and I think we really have seen this in the last couple of years. But I would like more women to become business owners and more vocal and do what they love. You know, regardless of people saying, "Oh, you can't do it. You can't do this. You're, you know, you're not smart enough." I mean, I think it was just the other day that Lady Gaga posted something about I her, saw this. How, about how yeah. her boyfriend was like, you're never going to accomplish anything um, because of whatever, without mm-hmm. me, or whatever it was. And I, I think women just need to know that they can do anything mm-hmm. that they put their mind to. Well, and then the rest of the Lady Gaga quote is something like, like, I'm going to make it so you like can't even like, like go into go a restaurant, restaurant without, without seeing me. Seeing my exactly. <laughs> Like, um, totally true. I think Especially that now. women need to know that they're capable of anything they put their mind to. And also to know when to draw those boundaries with men or women in their life. Like, if you feel that they are sucking the life out of you, and if they are being negative, if they aren't for there for your best interest, that they that you need to know how to learn to let go. And that's been a struggle for me. Like, I've kept people in my life just like, oh, yeah, it's fine. But once I let them go, it was like this gigantic weight has been lifted from my shoulders. And And it's it's life-changing. I feel like that's something that happens, like, kind of naturally as you get older and, like, into your, like, late 20s and 30s. 30s, I don't know what happens after that because I know (laughs) I'm not to that point yet. (laughs) I have a very close circle of friends um, that I talk to every day. But, like, and these are the people that are definitely, like, in my corner, whatever I want. If I said, hey, I want to start a business, if I want to do this, they're, like, they're, they're going to be, like, okay, how are we going to do this? Like, let's do a business plan. I know so-and-so. Like, they have contacts. Like, they can do whatever. Um, and when you don't have that in your life, that's when you need to just reevaluate and look at your situation and what you want out of life. And you, you will... You will let go eventually. It's just mm-hmm. easier to recognize and do it before it becomes so painful. Mm-hmm. Like, you're, like, almost like a death. Yeah. I was going to say a breakup, but a death. A death. <laughs> death, breakup. Yeah. Same difference. <laughs> um, are you starting a business? That was um, a very specific example. <laughs> maybe. Okay. Maybe. I won't push any further. I have a love of spinning, like, mm-hmm. um, cycling. And there's really nothing where I live out there. So me and I, I have a personal trainer that I work out with. And she needs a bigger studio. And I want to open a spin studio. Interesting. So I've been looking at spaces. If anyone has any contacts, let me know. We'll post my phone number down below. <laughs> um, we do have a good community here that does answer these call-outs. So awesome. when I come across Please, something. I know. Yeah, I just think... I live um, in the North Towns in, in, in Amherst, and there's only one studio, and I just think it's not accessible for everyone. Mm-hmm. Um, my love of spinning came a couple years after I finished chemo, and I mean, I couldn't breathe. 
Like, I was on this bike. I couldn't breathe. And the instructor, who's now a good friend of mine, she's like, Aim, you got this. You can do it. And she ended up closing her studio for whatever reason. But I just think that everyone needs a place, like, that they can go and relax and recharge and just, like, let all that shit go. Because mm -hmm. that's what I did. Um, so and that would be part of the reason why I would, wanted to start my own spin studio because it was that happy place for me. It was mm -hmm. where I felt like I just felt clear. Mm -hmm. I feel like that's happening more and more in our area, like having like, like boutique studios that end up being like community. Mm -hmm. Um, and I think that's really cool. And I think it's pretty unique. Like if you're in a bigger city, that just doesn't happen. Like I've been to SoulCycle. It's pretty scary. I was um, just <laughs> at SoulCycle like two weeks yeah. ago for the first time. And I loved it though. I found it like intimidating. Um, I mean, okay, maybe a little, but it was great. It was mm -hmm. probably this woman, this instructor, she was 65 years old. Oh my gosh. She's, she was a powerhouse. She was telling us stories during like this, the class and she was a DJ in the early 80s, like in downtown oh my LA. Gosh, that's and like she hung out with Madonna <laughs> and, um, Prince and like I'm just like is this what? woman That's for amazing. real? Like it, it was my first class ever there and it was I just was in LA and I was like I gotta go to Soul Cycle and oh gosh, so I hope I'm in that kind of shape like in my sixties I'm like not in that kind of shape now woman, but her, I hope that her I arms I can't even tell you and she was like jumping she got off the bike and was doing cartwheels it was insane it was, wow it was a crazy That's experience wild. but I like it, it energized me and like that's what I want to bring to something, whatever I do in life. Mm -hmm. I want to have that kind of energy and that kind of presence and that kind of force that I just inspire those people around me. Mm -hmm. I think you can do that. You Thank have, you. like, a very nice energy to you. Thank you. <laughs> um, so we'll get into the women that you admire, and then we'll get into, like, your subversive women. Okay. The woman that I most admire is my mom. I mean, I already said it, but, like, this woman has been through hell and back. I mean, in a very short period of time... My dad, her mom, her dad, and then her great aunt, who was like a second mom, all passed away. Oh and my like gosh, a that's horrible. from ninety six to two thousand one. And I mean, when I was thirteen, my sister was nine, and so she had to raise us and she had to work and she made it work and we never moved. We've I've she still lives in the same house that my dad and her built. And my life was never different. Like my mom made it very made my life very comfortable. I mean, at 16, she helped me get a car. So, like, I was able to do all those things. And it was because she put us first. Um, and I just, I, I'm so grateful for that in my life. Because you, you see stories about these, you know, people who get remarried and things happen. And I just, I just feel really lucky that my mom put us first and made sure we were always okay. No matter what, we were always okay. She sounds amazing. She is pretty amazing. <laughs> she's, a, she's a good egg. I mean, but also, like, I admire my friends, um, my close friends, who I've watched go through their own battles with cancer. Two of them have relapsed. So I watched them go through their first battle, and then, and then I watched them go through it again. And the second time is always so much harder than the first. Like, the treatment, the transplant, you know, you... It's just, it's so much harder on your body, and, you know, you're like, God, I don't know how, like, I don't, I personally don't know if I could do it. Like, I, people say, well, 
what if you got to be diagnosed? What would you do? And I'm like, I don't know. I don't know if I could physically put myself through that kind of treatment and or torture again. But watching these women is just super inspiring because like they are moms. They have, one of them has two kids. The other one has one kid. I don't have any kids. And they still went to work and they still had to take care of their family. So it's just amazing to see these women just thrive in these horrible situations. I mean, yeah, you just got to do what you got to do, you know? And that's just it. You got to do what you got to do. And I mean, for me, people would say to me, well, I, so I never stopped working because what was I going to do? Sit around on my butt for six months Mm -hmm. and I had to pay my bills. So everyone's like, I just can't believe you didn't take time off. Well, who was going to do it for me? So you just kind of, you, you, women just go. Women, as a whole, I think women just are able to handle things so much better than, say, the opposite sex. I mean, people, men get a cold and the world is ending. That's true. <laughs> so, it's just amazing to see my friends thrive after such terrible experiences. That's and then the same thing with my mom, watching all of these people who are the closest to her pass away, and my mom has done amazing things in the last 20 years. That's incredible. And now we're going to talk about another incredible <laughs> woman who is Amy's subversive story. So oh, go ahead. Madonna. <laughs> Ever since I was a little girl, I think when I, I was four years old and I was Madonna for Halloween, I mean, this woman has broken barrier after barrier after barrier. And, you know, not to be cliche, but she really has paved the way for Lady Gaga and Rihanna. And it's just, it's great to see her reinvent herself over and over and over. I think she's 60 now. Yeah, something like that. I think she's 60, and she's a living proof that women can be by themselves, do whatever they want, show people that there's there's no real boundaries. The boundaries in her head. Mm -hmm. It's all mental. And she has pushed and pushed and pushed. And she's, I mean, people maybe not love her like they used to, but she's still my favorite. I still know every word to every song. I mean, she had, like, a lot of staying power. Like, she was around for, like, decades. 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 Mm-hmm. And, yeah, you're right. I, mean, I think now people are kind of, like, cooling to her yeah. for the first time. For the first time in maybe 15. 40 years. Yeah. Like. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, she's still my go-to person. Mm-hmm. Like, I was actually listening to one of her albums on the way here. Oh, nice. <laughs> <laughs> now, you need to find us this picture of you dressed as her for I, Halloween so I can post that. I will find it. <laughs> That's so funny. Yeah, Madonna is great. Madonna's, she's my girl. Um, alright, well, I think we're approaching the end of the episode. Okay. Is there anything that you'd like to add that we didn't talk about? Um, I don't think we, I really, are we kind of talked about mental health. Oh yeah, we can talk about that more. Um, I just, there are so many people out there to help you. Um, there are so many people out there willing to just listen. Um, I know that I have a necklace that says anxiety on it that I wear, and it's, and people have said, well, isn't that just a constant reminder? Like, yes, it's a constant reminder, but, like, that's part of my life now, and people have social anxiety, people have anxiety for whatever reason. I mean, I have PTSD when I see red Gatorade because it looks like one of the chemo drugs. So, like, those are real issues for me, and I know those are real issues for other people. So I just hope that, you know, if if you are going through something like that, that you are able to reach out to someone. Um, whether it's an anonymous person, whether it's a family or friend, whether it's me on Instagram, because I will happily 
message you back and talk you through whatever you, you, you've got going on. But I just want everyone to know that they really aren't alone. Like, people really do want to help you. And I just think that's important to remind each other of, like, I'm here. Like, mm -hmm. I may not talk to you every day, but I'm still here if you need me. Mm -hmm. Thank you so much for circling back to that, because we did kind of touch on that in some of, like, your darkest mm -hmm. times. And then we kind of moved on to another conversation, <laughs> so I'm glad that we came back to that. That's a big, it, it's a big part of, it just, it, it weighs on me, because, you know, there is a stigma for it, and I don't understand why. Um, both men, women, we all have our own stuff. Like, we all have baggage, we all have stuff going on, we all have our own issues. I mean, I still to this day have my own issues, but, like, I know how to handle them. I have the tools, and I've been equipped by professionals, and I have a great support group. And But I didn't always have that. Mm -hmm. I didn't always have that support group. Like, in my early 20s, or mid-20s, I should say, I didn't have a close circle of friends. Mm -hmm. And... If you don't have something like that, it's very, you can feel very alone mm -hmm. and very hard to, it's very hard to reach out and mm -hmm. ask for help. Definitely. So, like, that's why I always say, like, anyone I meet, if you have any questions or you need to talk, please don't hesitate to reach out. Mm -hmm. I happily will try and help you or point you in the direction of where you need to go. Mm -hmm. But I just, so everyone knows. Yeah, totally. And I, I'm glad that you framed it that way that, like, a lot of those things, like those coping mechanisms, those are skills. We're not born with those. We are not born with that. And if you don't have, like, a situation where you're growing up where you learn those skills, then you don't have them. Mm -hmm. And that really makes everything a lot harder. So I think we're moving in a direction where people are talking about this stuff more and it's a little bit more normalized. Like, people, like, freely talk about their therapists mm -hmm. and talk about, like, the treatments that they're in and talk about the medications that they're on. And I think that we're, like, definitely moving in the right direction with that, being definitely so open we about too. it. All right, I like that little PSA at the <laughs> end here. All right, well, Amy, thank you so much for being here. This is so great. Thank you for having me. I love it. Thank you for also sharing, like, such personal stories with us. I really do appreciate your vulnerability. I'm, I'm happy to share because I'm, I know that at some point someone is going to hear this and, and need to have heard it. Mm -hmm. And so I'm like, okay, it's going to it's gonna be okay. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So you can find Amy on Instagram. My Instagram handle is Amy Lee Lippman, A-M-Y-L-E-E-L-I-P-M-A-N. All right. So reach out to her if you have any questions. Um, and then you can find Womankind at Womankind Podcast on Instagram and Facebook. And then our website, www.womankindpodcast.com and email at womankindpodcast at gmail.com. Well, thanks for listening. Bye, friends. Bye.